week's guest is Jonathan Stanyard. Jonathan got his start in the industry in the Bay Area of California and currently resides in Seattle, Washington. We cover topics such as the benefits of an open concept kitchen and how it unites the back and front of house teams, as well as the fact that Jonathan has also produced his own line of bitters and tinctures, which you can find at thebittergringo.com. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the Industry Podcast. I'm Kip. This is Dan. Hey, What's going on? Uh, not too much, thanks. Uh, yourself? Uh, well, you know, my bar turned one last weekend, so that was exciting. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, well, somehow made it. It's the craziest year to ever open a bar. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we made it one year. We'll see if we can make it to two. <laughs> well, congratulations, and let's hope for the best. Yeah, that's all you can do. Uh, as usual, we'll get the uh, housekeeping out of the way. Best way to support the show, subscribe, rate, review. Um, give us that five-star review that we so richly deserve. And if you do wish to be on the podcast, or if you have any connection to the industry, service industry whatsoever, just uh, DM us at the Industry Podcast. Uh, once again, shout out to Zach Hanna, who does the design work for us. And uh, well, I don't know, how do you friend. reach him on uh, Instagram again? Uh, it's at Zach Hanna Design. That's Z A K. Z A K. Yeah, reach out to him. He's he's the shit. Um, we have a great guest for you, as always. Uh, Jonathan Stanyard's with us tonight, today, this afternoon. We are taping on, what is the date today, August? The 4th. The 4th, yeah. Yeah, I can just look at the computer. Um, so, Jonathan's coming to us from Seattle, Washington, and we're going to bring him in right now. How's it going, Jonathan? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. How are you doing over there? Ooh, you know, well. it's crazy shit, but <laughs> we're getting through it. Uh, what's the scene like in Seattle uh, regarding to this whole pandemic? You know, it's mo- mostly people are compliant and doing their part. Um, but we had, you know, the protests and stuff, oh, kind yeah. of the movements going on, which being on the inside, of the media tries to spin it. it was, it's all been peaceful on the protesters' part, um, you know, and all that stuff. But uh, today's that's election good. day. Uh, today's voting day. I mean, Oh, that's right. Day. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, kind of a... There's a mood in the air, you know, some vibes of, you know, now's your time. And I've never seen so many people run for governor. There's nearly two dozen on the ballot. Oh, is that right? Ooh. Wow. <laughs> for, for the oh, primary here. No, yeah. it's nice to have choice. <laughs> yeah, people, the people are trying to get, get out there and make a change if they think they can. So we'll see if they can break the system. And uh, with regards to COVID specifically, what's the what's the scene with the bars and restaurants there? Like, are are you mostly open, or is it all outdoors? What stage are you guys at? So it's like we've been paused now on phase uh, one point five. Uh. Uh, I think some counties got to two, but uh, King County, where Seattle is, we're stuck on one point five, which is appropriate and which is allowed indoor and outdoor dining to continue with social distancing of six feet between the tables. Right. Um, but there was a kind of a modification or a, a hold put on by our governor Inslee here. Um, he put a couple of restrictions in place. So now indoor dining has to be same household only, Ooh. which is, uh, which is awkward because you yeah. just have to ask you guys who are in the same household and they could say yes, they could say no. Right. You like know, how, how are you going to prove it? Or, it's goodwill. When yeah. we can't, we can't ask for anything. So, yeah. That's a silly one. And then the other restriction is uh, you cannot sell alcohol past 10 p.m. Oh, shit. So, but at the same time that he put that into effect, he pulled, uh, he stopped all nightclubs and bar licenses versus, you know, like the pub, uh, uh-huh. you know, restaurant license. Uh, right. They, they've had to shut down indefinitely. Oh, so, fuck yeah. Wow. So we so, have the same sort of situation with nightclubs uh, here, but uh, my bar is kind of like a 
it's a lounge, but essentially it keeps nightclub hours. So the thought of closing at 10, we don't even get people till 10. That would yep. be a nightmare. So, so yeah. this is going to wipe out um, any of those co- cocktail bars, cocktail clubs that have uh, been standing through, you know, right. the shutdown and the phase 1.5. Like this is, if you open at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock or whatever, and your busiest hour is, you know, 10 to midnight. Yeah. You, you've got issues so yeah it's gonna be a sad and uh it's gonna be sad a wave of yeah yeah it's good there's 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 so many places that are just shutting down like i said i'm i mean we're very slow still because people aren't people can still sit outside here it's nice here and it's um and my bar's in a basement with it doesn't have windows so it's all like there's a lot going against my bar at this time of year but so i'm just thrilled to have made it through to this point and we'll see what happens next but yeah i mean so many places are closing down now yeah it's, you you opened up during this during this whole shutdown uh i opened literally a year ago oh, okay. uh, last weekend so um yeah, so we would we were about open for about five six months when the pandemic hit and we were forced to shut down. So it was kind of weird, like it's weird to be celebrating a one year anniversary, but you were closed for four months. You know what I mean? Like of it was, yeah, it's a strange times, and uh, we just got to hope everybody in this industry gets through it the best we can. Uh, yep. So are you, are you presently working then? So yeah, I uh, I was off. Um, you know, I had left my previous job uh, two weeks before the shutdown, Ooh. so I was in an interesting place for any of the unemployment and stuff. But right. uh, I kept busy on, on the side and, and digitally, and you know, Instagram and whatever online opportunities. A lot of brands took care of bartenders, so I bid on to every opportunity that I could. Um, but I started a gig about uh, five weeks ago, and it's in Kirkland, Washington. It's you know a few miles north of here, um, and it's really a French brasserie. And uh, yeah, working four shifts a week. So, oh well, that's yeah. that's good. That's Back pretty, at it. That's pretty much full time for bar life. It it is, yeah. but uh, with the shorter hours, you know, uh, right. we open it. We open at four o'clock, so shifts are shorter, which I'm, I'm okay with. I'm, yeah, I'm, get, I'm getting old. I don't want to work these eight to ten, twelve hour shifts. I know it's rough. We switched our <laughs> we switched our hours. We used to be open five to two every day, and now we've <laughs> dialed it back from eight to two. And man, it's so much nicer. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, speaking of your Instagram page, uh, we, I was scrolling through it even just earlier today. Beautiful. You're like, I don't know. Are you doing all the, the photographs as well? No, mo- no. Most of the photographs are uh, by a colleague uh, and partner of mine. Oh. Um, so, yeah, she's tagged on all those, and it's uh, World Kitchen Adventures. Oh. Her name's Melissa San Pedro. But That's she's, uh, Yeah, she's got food styling down, so she does great cocktail styling for me and takes killer photos and yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'd say it's ninety percent of the feed for the past probably two or three years. Oh, nice. Well, your cocktails look great. The photos look great. Your page looks great. People should check it out. It's the Bitter Gringo. Um, okay, so let's dive into a little bit of your history now, Jonathan. Um, you started out in California in the Bay Area. Uh, where specifically? So I was born in San Jose. Um, my first job, though, was in Los Gatos, California, small little town, and it was like right on the edge. Um, and it was my best friend's parents' restaurant. And, yeah. you know, to, to sum that super long story short, uh, I wanted to skateboard, and I was skateboarding <laughs> a lot, and I was breaking my skateboards, and my parents were tired of buying me a skateboard every week. And they said, get a job. They you know, they yeah. say get a job. So uh, I took that first opportunity when my uh, best friend Chrissy and her family had, you know, opened up, said, hey, we can get you in on Friday, Saturdays, and wash the dishes. I'm like, I'm there. Right. And, uh, I mean, that's it. I, I that's where I started and climbed to work there for seven years. And you name the job, I did it. 
Yeah, so you started, uh, we've had a few people on here started sort of in the kitchen, the dish pit, whatever. I, and I always like to ask them, how do you think that that um, sort of influenced uh, your career in the long run? Like, uh, what did you learn from the experience of working in the shitty dish pit or like on the line in the kitchen, whatever you were doing that helped, um, helped you once you got out onto the front of the house? You know, it's it's super. Uh, it'll be cheesy, but I just got done watching like the Last Dance that Michael Jordan and. The, oh yeah, yeah. Who didn't? What else were we gonna do? Well, I wasn't. Go- I wasn't yeah. going to. But yeah. just, like after the fourth or fifth person like asked me, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna watch this. Yeah. So epic. And I I like how you know uh, Michael Jordan admits to it being a team you know situation. Teams mm-hmm. win championships. You know, organizations win championships. So it's kind of like that. Right. Being able to start in the kitchen in the backbone where you're slicing, washing lettuce, or you're, you know, just prepping up, you know, whatever it is. If we did pizza, so cheese and Tupperwares and dividing and blending and making pizza dough. Like, yeah, it's like rudimentary, but without that, nothing's going to happen on the other end. And so I quickly learned the importance of teamwork. And I think, you know, from there on out, it was, it's always a team. You know what I mean? Whether you're pulling tips or not, it's a team environment. And if not, you need to probably check out. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm sure, I don't know if you have, but I've certainly worked in lots of places where uh, it sort of, there was a divide between the kitchen and the front of the house. Um, I don't know if you've had that experience as well, but like the places that succeed are the ones where everybody is working, like you said, as a unit, right? Yep. And I think, I think uh, like design wise, I believe the open kitchen format really helps bring the back of house and front of house together. Um, and letting the back house see tables and know what table 24 is. And there's, I think there's a lot of restaurants that operate where the kitchen, sous chef, you say, can you, can you stop by 44? They're like, what table is that? But I've really thrived in environments in my current location. We have an open kitchen. It's like my cooks, my chefs, they all know the table numbers. Mm-hmm. They know who's eating what. And so um, if it's someone that they know or they know someone likes a certain piece of a fish or a steak, like they're going to make sure that person gets it. It's not VIP treatment. It's just that touch extra touch it's like being a bartender and knowing oh my buddy here likes his daiquiri with an extra quarter ounce of lime or hold back on the sugar it's knowing that little detail you're not cheating someone else you're just getting someone else's attention the right way right that's really interesting i don't i don't know if we've talked about that before about the whole idea of an open kitchen and how that can have an effect on the whole dining experience but i'm not actually to be honest with you i don't know if i've ever thought about it that way i mean i i think i now that you've said it out loud to me i can visualize the experiences that I've had where that's exactly what was going on but I don't know if I've ever thought about that before that's interesting um yeah and it probably also helps it helps with not just with the dining experience for the guests but it probably also helps with the cohesion of the team when you can just see each other through a window or whatever as opposed to having to walk into a separate room almost I don't that sounds weird, but yeah, it's like a divide. It's, yeah, it's a, it's, there's like a literally a wall between in a lot of restaurants. So the kitchen's this like place you don't want to see. Well, I want to see the kitchen where my food's being prepped. Right. I don't trust the health department's recommend like whatever. I'm sure if you found something you shouldn't have, and the owner throws you enough money, I don't know. There's crooked people in all you know parts of business. Sure. But yeah, you know when you see a stamp on a door, it's like if it's an A, B, or C, or wherever you're at, or a smiley face or a sad face. I'd like to see the kitchen. I don't. Right. Uh, And it's also like the notion of it being like a physical divide 
between the people who work back yeah. there and the people who work up front as well, right? In a weird Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah on both fronts. That's what I, I was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, on both fronts, from the customers and and from employee perspective, it's like you've got to go into another room where there's a whole different vibe, a whole different environment, um, and those are often kitchens where. Yeah, it's not approachable. You go back there and it's like you kind of have to take a breath to even ask your chef for questions sometimes. Right. But in these open environments where, like, oh, I, again, I've been in a lot of open kitchens, it feels a lot more approachable and where you can work as one rather than two. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. I just, I've honestly never thought about it before, but like, yeah. <laughs> now, now you're going to keep your eye on it. <laughs> yeah, I think I am. I think I might build a different kitchen next time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes you're stuck with the space you have, obviously. But it's, that's an interesting perspective where, yeah, like you do have to kind of walk physically into a different room. They're isolated from you if they're in the back of the house. It's, of course, that's going to create a difference in camaraderie. Com- Oh, thank you. Okay. Sometimes I need some help. Uh, <laughs> camaraderie, yes. Easy for me to say. Um, and, and also just in uh, in the flow of the teamwork, right? Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so you started working there, and uh, at, at, by the time you're done there, you've pretty much done all the jobs. Like, you've done bartending, clearly, and uh, no? Not bartending. Yeah, the bartending didn't come into play until a little bit later. So we didn't have a liquor license. We just had oh, beer and wine. So okay, it was a mom okay, and pop okay. Italian shop. Um, but at that same time, like my last few years there at the same time, I was doing some private like bartending for another spot I was working for, another family's restaurant. Um, and so I was doing like just like the simplest mixers, you know, gin and tonics, vodka sodas. And then some guy brought a bottle of Patron to this party. And I remember just drinking some of it when I probably shouldn't have been drinking and shouldn't have been bartending. Again, this was, uh, you know, uh, interesting times. But so that was like my lucky way of getting my foot in the door. And people always say, did you go to bartending school? And I kind of laugh and I don't need to like shut down upon it. But if you can get your foot in the door another way, um, the the, the resume, you know, the experience, the hands-on work experience, uh, I think is going to get you a lot further in the game. Uh, Like if you... If you haven't barbacked before, it's going to be hard to get a bartending job. Yes. Do you want to go to bartending school to be a barback? I don't think so. So that's why I don't think that system is the best choice. So, yeah, I, I was doing kind of off-the-cuff stuff there. Um, and then a few years later, eventually landed my first uh, bartending job. Okay, if you don't mind, I'm going to back up a little bit there because there's a couple in- interesting things you said there that we haven't really talked about before. And one is the difference in liquor licenses with regards to the U.S. or maybe is it on a state by state basis there? Yes. Okay. Uh, so yes. and here, here is prov- provincial as well. But for where we where my bar is. Um, a liquor license encompasses everything. It's like liquor, beer, wine. You, there's just one license for everything. But where you, what you're saying where you are is there's there's a license to just sell beer and wine, and then there's a license if you also want to sell liquor. Yeah, this is this is the U.S. We like to yeah. really That's we really like to split seems, things up. Seems like a lot of extra work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, uh, do you have any notion of what the reasoning behind that is? Or is it just maybe another way to bleed some more licensing dollars out of the... More licensing, I think it's control, perception of control and power. I don't know. So, it's, yeah, yeah, you have a beer and wine license, and you can have a hard liquor license. And if uh-huh. you have a hard liquor, you could, of course, serve the beer and wine. Right. You know. And again, so I don't know if you, like, back in the beginning when I mentioned the restaurant pub liquor license versus nightclub bar liquor license right. you have that option where you're at but that, even that that's kind of crazy like you're serving booze you're serving booze yeah and, yeah 
fun, yeah. man. Like, yeah, and shouldn't the, as the same rules are going to apply to you, right? Like, when it comes to, <laughs> yeah, inspections or whatever. Yeah. It's very weird. So yeah, it sounds like a cash grab to me. <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. never you know opened my own bar, and I've never been on that you know uh, licensing side of it. So oh, it's pretty fucking boring. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I've only had to you know, take pictures and send them to liquor reps. Right. To, yeah. Make sure I get my my booze on time. Yeah. Okay. And then the <laughs> other thing I wanted to um, talk about when you were saying there um, is the bartending school. Let's touch on that a little bit more because I I am I, we have had people on the show who have done the bartending school programs and whatever, and I don't want to like diminish them in any way necessarily but I definitely am of the same mindset of you where I never went to one and um, I just feel like that you're 100% right that hands-on experience is uh, one is like way more valuable it's like you said what are you going to go to school for to be a bar back because and I know from hiring someone I like I don't look to see if they went to a fucking bartending school I want them to learn to bartend the way I want them to bartend yep so, no, no, I mean, no, it, it's, so it's, I think it's a little different. I think culinary school serves a little more of a purpose because uh-huh. those are, there's like fundamentals taught there that, I mean, you can't teach yourself. You need a mentor. And I think bartender, like mentors are great and they push you to thrive and, and push your limits and think outside the box and learn new techniques and combinations and whatnot. But I think like the things you learn at a bartending school, I haven't been, but I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube and I'm pretty sure it's in books. Like there's so right. many fantastic cocktail books like i could give you a list of six and i'm thinking you can get more knowledge out of those six books maybe i don't know than the average bartending school yeah but i mean it's actually can you can you give us give us give us two or three so um i love death and co and their Mm -hmm. first book was really cool for recipes and stuff but the cocktail codex if you're trying to become a bartender like boom mind-blowing right six cocktails you know and everything stems from there and they show you ratios and balance and Maybe you can alter the sugar. You could alter the type of juice. Yeah. You could alter the t- genius book. Um, it's almost the Bible now. <laughs> yeah, that um, well, uh, Jim Meehan's uh, bartender's uh, manual. That's phenomenal. Uh, couldn't couldn't go wrong. And I, and I if pick one more. Uh, I think it came out last year. The Nomad uh, cocktail book. The Nomad oh. Bar. Okay, I'm not familiar with that one yet. So they're out of um, they're out of New York, and uh, it's Lee. I forgot his last name. But he's the beverage director, and he's worked with um, that restaurant group, the same ones that have uh, uh, 11 Madison's uh, Park. Okay. I'm not a, I'm a West Coaster, so, like, these these names are not... Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it is hard when grass. you... It's funny, well, and, we're, and we're Canadian, right? So, like, it's, it is kind of funny. Like, it's, it's name, names that you've heard of. If somebody says them to you, you're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. But to try and yeah. come up with it was like, I've never been to that place. Like, Yeah. <laughs> it's the same, same restaurant group that owns, like, Shake Shack, uh, the guy that wrote um, Setting the Table. Okay. If you haven't read Setting the Table, it's a book about hospitality, and uh, it's unbelievable, man. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that just in general, because I think you're right. Like, there's so much you can get uh, just online now, on YouTube, through books. Um, how valuable do you even say, like, a book like Setting the Table is for someone trying to come up in the service industry? Uh, I, that's, like, the number one. Like, if, if you want to know about hospitality and every little detail that makes the difference and ripple effect, uh, that book was... It was just crazy. I've been in the industry for, you know, a couple decades, and I read yeah. that two years ago. And after reading it, I was like, oh, I was like, my head was like kind of melted, you know? I was just like, I can't believe I never thought about it this way. 
or I can't believe I've always done it like this and that was the right way or something. So there's a lot of ahas and there's a lot of like, cool, I'm on the right track, but right. I'd recommend that to anybody starting out in the middle at the end, if you're not even in the hospitality industry, I think it's a damn good read because it focuses on businesses. It's just about positive reinforcement, treating people the way you want to be treated, things like that. But I just, like, the examples are like Danny uh, Myers, that's, that's who wrote it, Danny Myers. He goes to like this neighborhood restaurant to get food or something. And it's like Friday, like, you know, eight o'clock or something. And the chef comes out, he's like, I'm not serving you. Go back to your restaurant. What the hell are you doing here? It's Friday at eight o'clock. You shouldn't be here. Like that right. type of thing. Where right. he was young, he was young and dumb. And this guy that's older, he's like, telling him how it is and he realizes yeah i should why am i in the middle of my dinner rush trying to feed myself when i'm in the hospitality and i'm not taking care of my people so just like little examples like reminders of best practices you know it's funny that's really great thing to say and i want to touch on it a little further because i was actually having a conversation with my wife who's also in the service industry just the other night and she mentioned that like the key to the service industry is once you walk in the doors and start your shift it's no longer about you and your needs don't matter anymore. No, it's, 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 it's exactly. It's the word hospitality comes from, you know, hospital, I'm trying to think of Latin root, but it's a Latin root of taking care of others. Right. Um, so it's not that you're sick, but yeah, you've had a day where you should come tell me about it and I should give you something to drink and think about it. Yes. And the worst is going into a place um, and having the bartender just, you know, complain, about, to you <laughs> yeah his yeah. roommates and the dirty dishes or you know what i mean right. like his lady like no man i'm here you should listen to me tell you what i want you know right and we were even talking <laughs> about it with like um and she was because you know how it is when you're working in this like like working a shift and it's the busiest of friday night saturday night, whatever it like it's not there's no time to take a piss or eat or stuff you just put that on the back burner till there till it's slow time and then you shove all the food you can in your face and you pee as much as you can or whatever right where you we've all worked with those people who are like right in the middle of a busy shift will just go off and take a dump or something and i'm just like I, it's, oh yeah 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 i don't get it like i just and that's kind of what brought up the conversation between my wife and i we're like no once you walk through those doors your needs are over and it's about the needs of the guest Yep, the guests. I mean, then your team. If someone else is, yeah, someone else opened and they had a busy happy hour and they haven't gotten to juicing. You know, I was training a, a guy the other day at the barn. Yeah, I had a, I, we had a thousand dollar happy hour, which is crazy for us. Uh, and I was running around and I couldn't delegate or train him because it was just, I was just like, just stand here, try to make some mixers, whatever. Right. I come along if you can make these drinks. If not, I'll come get them. But I turn around and he's juicing. I'm like, are you juicing? Oh, that's awesome. Next thing I turn around, he's, he's filling my dehydrator with, with sliced fruit. I'm like, this is great. Yeah. So, I mean, it's that every little bit helps. So, he was looking yeah, out for me. He was being, uh, you know, uh, hospitable to me in, in, in my situation. He didn't have to do that. That's an so, interesting way to look at it, too. Like, there is a hospitality that that um, goes back and forth between coworkers, right? It's not you being hospitable to each other, helping each other out, even if it's not affecting your financial situation. I'm sure we've all worked with people who are clearly only looking out for their own dollars. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and, and it makes such a huge difference when someone's just, oh, shit, that person sees I'm fucked and they're just helping me. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a problem. Because just, you know, workers' rights and stuff, like if you accidentally hire someone, you know, because resume's good, they interview well, and... They end up being that, you know, sour apple that doesn't run other people's drinks, doesn't listen to coaching. Like, 
Just selfish, think, yeah. Oh, man, and that's just the worst. And I fortunately, I maybe hired one, two of those in my career, and it's just you try so hard, and, and eventually I think they get the picture that no one's on board with the way they're working, and they usually will end up, you know, leaving. It's not like you want to let them go or something. like. But they could be great where, like, the tables, you know, the tables love them. It's sure. Like, you don't like everyone else is like oh shoot i gotta work with so-and-so right and that's just that kills your team morality so it does and it's, it a hard also, one, it's a hard one to read yeah it, it, well yeah you can't tell that <laughs> in a resume there's no way yeah we've all made those mistakes like there's no there's no way to tell you can't even tell it in an interview because technically probably if they're good at a table they're good in the interview too right so yeah like yeah, they, know how, just, they know how to talk yeah sometimes you've got to you know i've hired some awkward interviews or not so good interviews um I don't really hire people who are late for interviews, you know, that's not right. a good sign. But, <laughs> no. but if there's like just some like, you know, you ask them a question and like they don't have like the perfect answer and they start sweating, like actually that's a great sign for me. If I'm interviewing someone and someone's nervous and they're sweating bullets, I'm kind of into it because oh, cause they must really want the fucking job. Yeah, it means yeah. a lot to them. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want them to be like shaky and stuff, but when I see that they're kind of a little shaky, like some of those hires, um, I worked for uh, Starbucks coffee company for a long time and, so a lot of the times in those interviews, like, I'd get some kids and stuff that would be funny, but, like, I would hire those people. They'd be the hardest workers. They'd pay attention. Mm-hmm. They would excel. And eight months later, they're promoted to a shift supervisor. So it's just, right. like, you never know. Like, you can't, it's hard to judge someone, you know, book by its cover. Yes. Interviews, interviews only so, so much and so many layers. And some of the best interviews turn out to be the weakest links, man. Yeah. And and it's yeah, there's just no way to tell if someone's going to be a selfish worker through that process. You can't tell till you're working with them. Um, I I do also like the fact that you're talking about like someone just jumping on the line and just figuring out okay, fuck, what needs to get done? Like I'm just going to start doing shit to help. Like when you see someone like that, you know right away this person's going to make it, as yeah. opposed to the person who's standing around waiting for you to tell them what to do. Yeah, so it's like a live, it's like a live action resume. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You came up. Oh, what? You already memorized the cocktails and you got them like two days ago. You already made the co- what? Like, how'd you do that? That's awesome. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I told my manager that day, I was like, he's gonna be fine. He juicy. He's full of dehydrator. He's making squabbles left and right, man. Mm-hmm. This guy's got it. Because you know? the rest of the shit you can teach them, right? Like, yeah, it, it comes <laughs> with time and stuff. The food, yeah. you know, our dishes and stuff. But if you. It, takes half the workload if you can just be behind a bar comfortably and just grab go pour you, you know what you're doing yeah. man you know and it's that it. mindset of like okay i'm not doing anything this person is fucked right now what can i do to help them if you see somebody jumping in and just doing that right away they're gonna make yeah. it they're, they're yeah. a team player like yeah. he cares he wants the guest to have a good experience he doesn't want right. to and watch have someone walk in and see him not doing anything and be like hey where are our drinks well i'm right. just training man yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, I know. I yeah, and I've worked with several people who don't have that motor as well, and it's just like, fuck, man. Like, talk later, talk later, yeah. serve now. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, we're yeah here to work, as you said. You yeah. Clock in, when you clock in, you leave everything at home. You know, you leave. It's like you drop your, I don't know, your shell outside the door, pick you it really up on your way to. out. Yeah, you have to do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so you're um, so you finished like seven, eight years at this one pizza spot, um, and then where do you go from there? It's uh, it's not that long ago, but it was so long ago. So yeah. from there, I, I worked a little bit in like uh, 
Michelin star French restaurant that was called the Plumed Horse. Um, okay, so just to cut you out for one second there, like, let's talk about that. I mean, going from like a pizza pub type spot to like a Michelin star restaurant, that's a major difference in your <laughs> level yeah, of service. Yeah. It, so it, talk it, to me about that. Yeah. It was always a difference on everything, you know, plating yeah. too, you know. So like the, the Italian place was, it was sit down Italian and we did pizza calzones and all the pastas. Um, but this was, yeah, French cuisine, very old, um, formal etiquette, you know, table side, um, you know, sauces and, and flambés. And Ooh. I was, I was a, I was a busboy there. I was serving and managing, you know, at this other place, but uh, I picked up busing over there simultaneously and ended up busing full time there because of making great money because right. it's a really nice place. Um, but it shook me up, you know, there was plenty of nights where I was sweating. Uh, the mm-hmm. owner was a crazy old Frenchman and you were on the, it, it said no cell phones in the dining room. And if someone's on their cell phone, he would just walk over, turn it off, tell you to get out. Really? <laughs> this guy did not care, man. So uh, the things that happened in this restaurant, you know, I opening like a 82, like Margot and oh, wow. crumbling on me. And I'm like this. You know, 18-year-old kid, I'm, like, sweating, I'm freaking out. And yeah, I, I had some weird moments, you know. But yeah. the, then the culinary level, so whole other game, coursing and pairings and amuse-bouge and these terms I'd never heard of and right. or the wines I tasted. So it was, I think, getting that, like, short stint, because I was only there for about a year or so, I couldn't do the two jobs at once. Right. Um, that was, uh, that was, you know, popping my culinary cherry you could say yeah. now where i there was this whole world ahead of me and i didn't turn down tasting anything uh, right. and so from there i actually worked in the semiconductor industry for a little bit oh okay <laughs> so i worked for like a tech company it was fam again a family in and uh, i did that for almost two years so i kind of took a couple of years off of the uh, hospitality industry mm. Um, I went over to Europe for a month or two, and I came back, and I got a job at Starbucks. And that's where I worked for Starbucks for about nine years. Oh, wow. And so, and so while at Starbucks, I got the itch to get back into bartending. I had an opportunity at this jazz lounge. Um, and so I picked up a couple nights there, and I, I guess the rest is history. So I got back into the industry maybe like in 2009, 2008, 2009. So like okay. as that cocktail revolution was coming in and I feel like jumping from, I did a French steakhouse and I did an Italian bistro and uh, tons of caterings and, and I did plenty of bartending, but it wasn't until I moved up to Seattle about six years ago where I left Starbucks, bartended full time and I started reading books and learning from other bartenders and then, you know, a couple years ago, cocktail competitions. And so it's, I, when people say how long you've been bartending, I tell them, you know, about a decade, but mm-hmm. seriously, seriously for about four or five years. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I want to talk to you about a bunch of that stuff. You kind of spent... It was long. Part. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 that's okay. Give uh, you have time for... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No worries. Um, the, I, I, let's just talk about the fact that you worked at Starbucks for so long. Talk to me about how that affected your, your service or your development as a server. Um, I, it was a lot of management. So I started as barista, promoted to a shift in like six months, promoted to assistant store manager, maybe like eight months after that. And then, um, went into store training. Like after being an assistant, they put me in store training, store manager training, uh, about six months in. So now it's three months, so nine months as an assistant manager, then I was a manager. And, uh, 
it was super educational. Um, I went to college for a bit. I uh, didn't finish. I did uh, undergrad and went to university for uh, about a semester. I was going for music, audio engineering. Um, and that's when I just started working full time. And I, I feel more confident that my time at Starbucks is almost more valuable than what I would have gained from my um, degree. I don't, I don't know. It's debatable. Um, I was pretty good at, you know, mixing and having the ear and all that stuff, but, uh, you know, like I feel more at home, I think behind the bar, you know what I mean? Right. I don't have that, I don't have that debt behind me on my, on my shoulders. And is, the, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, uh, is the, is the experience of working at a place like a big conglomerate like Starbucks, I'm sure there's, it's very regimented about how everything is done there. Is that, how did that, um, how do you feel like that affected you in your career going forward? I mean, it was, it was great to see uh, a giant, you know, corporation with, you know, nearly 20,000 locations um, and how they manage down to each store, you know, mm-hmm. you know, into read areas and the regions and just districts and, and so and so. So it was, there was an answer for everything. There was a manual for everything. If you needed an answer, it could be found. And if you needed to ask someone, there was someone to ask it. But rarely did I have to go further than looking at a manual, searching an online database. I like structure. I like organization. um, And that offered it. Uh, And at the same time, being such a large corporation, I felt like uh, they also knew how to balance taking care of their partners. And in fact, the biggest expense are the partner benefits because they offer full-time benefits of 20 hours a week. They pay for you to go to school. Wow. They give you free coffee. Yeah, 20 hours a week, you can get full benefits from Starbucks. Holy shit. I don't work for them anymore, but they're, uh, I always tell people if you're a student or if you're struggling or you're retired and you want to get better benefits and not just go work 20 hours a week at Starbucks, man. I'm going to have to tell my employees not to listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the pay... Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not bar life you know it's yeah, hospitality yeah, pay yeah, yeah. um it's not yeah. bad but you know you're on vacation but anyway yeah. uh, it, it the structure there the um you know from onboarding new hires oh, i learned a lot you know from interviewing process uh, inventory um you know budget control all these things were taught there it was free education Wow, that's crazy. That's a really interesting thing. And I think we've had some people who've worked for like big restaurant chains before, but some are like Starbucks is crazy because I think you said it perfectly. It is like a free education. And people yeah. like I know a lot of people in the bar industry would look down on a, working at a coffee shop. But at the end of the day, think about how much you're learning about just how the way service works at a place like that. Yeah, yeah it, it was it was awesome. And good management from top down, right? With lots of good training. That's why everyone is always in the same boat and everyone knows what's Ex- going on. Exactly. And, yeah. and yeah, and I didn't cut corners. I did the way the man wanted it to be done. And if you sure. didn't, like, I, I hired my friends and I fired my friends. It happened more than once. Mm. And because, you know, like, just because I know you, I'm not going to let you not do this or do something this way. Like, you know, they, we had milk pitchers, you know, and like, I was a crazy, I was kind of a crazy manager, you know, but I would just, you know, coach in people's ears. Mm-hmm. very seriously and so you'd have a non-dairy pitcher that's for soy milk right or you have a soy milk pitcher for soy milk non-dairy for juice or and one that says dairy and allergens are serious and here in america everyone has an allergy and who knows <laughs> so god forbid but this is the rule and i don't want to lose my job over this and Fuck go to no, court yeah. over this no. so if i again they're here and i say if you put you know dairy milk on a soy pitcher again i'm gonna cut your hand off 
<laughs> and yeah, and they laugh, and then they look at me, and I'm like, oh, I'm, no, I'm like, I will, I will, I will. Like, this is the third time this morning. So, just little things like that. That's yeah. That wasn't taught by the man. That was that was just my you know yeah. silent way yeah. of coaching. But right. they knew I was joking. But I yeah. was serious. Sure. Like the simplest of things. And, like and uh, it, that's a good management style too. There's a it gives it a very interesting way to like get your point across very seriously, but also kind of in a joking way. Like yeah. That, yeah. And I think that's helpful. And how much free coffee did you get at work? Like, do you get like a couple pounds of beans a week, or what? So you get you get one you get one pound of bean of beans a week, which is essentially enough. Yeah, um, you get to drink whatever you want while you're working, which is very dangerous. Yeah. Um, and then like during like uh, promotions and clearance events and stuff, uh, sometimes it eventually gets marked out and it's either expired or uh, you know. So we'll donate the coffee to either. Uh, local organizations or people take them home or I'll run comp- I used to run competitions with expired products and be like, yeah, it's expired coffee, but whoever sells, you know, 10 pounds of Christmas plant today gets these 20 pounds of coffee. I got to tell you, man, I got a real fucking Ooh. problem with that Christmas blend. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, I, can't, yeah. I, I, I don't so know what it is. My favorite is the anniversary blend, okay. uh, which, which is essentially almost the same as the Christmas or holiday, whatever blend. Um, and the secret is age, these aged Sumatra beans. So nice uh, uh, Sumatra and Asian Pacific beans uh, that have been, you know, uh, dry aged for, I don't remember the details, but. Yeah. But you're also yeah. learning about f- different flavors in a, the job like that as well, right? So that probably also helped you down the line when you got back into bartending. Yep. So I did the Coffee Master program, which was, you know, um, a few, like a three month long process where you spend a certain amount of hour, a few hours a week, tastings, presentations, pairings. Um, different brew methods and uh, taking plenty of quizzes and stuff like that. So, yeah, you learn immensely, you know, about acidity and balance uh, and, and how to use your olfactory senses, you know, and how to use your nose and how to use your palate. And, right. Um, yes, super uh, usable experiences. Huh. Uh, yeah, that's I, I, like, we haven't had anyone on who's had that experience before, but that makes complete sense to me. I mean, it's just. Coffee has all the flavors of a good wine, right? If you're tasting it properly. Exactly. There's, you know, just like there's a wine sommelier, there's coffee sommeliers of some sort, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, just like there's, uh, recently I found out there's water sommelier. This is what? All. Is that right? Yeah, I don't, I, uh, I'm very curious about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but since it was on a Netflix show, uh, and this guy's, the only, there's only one guy in LA, he's a French guy living in LA, uh, he's the first certified American water sommelier. And so oh, now I'm like, I, I'm, I'm going to get up. Yeah, he must head up. The, he must head up the association. I'm sure. We can just do this with anything. But it's no, but it's it's a thing. It really yeah. is. So it, it's all about like you know different springs and it's all natural uh, water sources. I and mean, his thing is like purified water, filtered water is shit. Like you're just drinking. Nothing. It's, it's very. It's hydrates you, but you're not getting anything else, and it's not hydrating you the proper way. Like you're supposed to drink from rivers, man. You know. So this guy's oh, like trying to connect. So, so and he talks about like the total dissolved solids. So like there's that zero water filter where it's like you want zero total dissolved solids, but these minerals, manganese, and uh, you know calcium. These things are good for us. We want these. So. And it gives it a different flavor. Yeah, I guess. I and it gives, yeah, so there's like he gives the on the show he gives him this super dense water that's like the total dissolved solids are like in the hundred thousand. Like this tastes oh. like a murky well. Like he's like, yeah, <laughs> it's so good for you. So uh, <laughs> it, 
it's, it's poking at my interests. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get, I get when you're explaining it. Like, that makes sense to me. I don't know if I need a, a Somalia level lesson on it, but the, <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about. Um, Okay, so you finished Starbucks. Now you're back. You decide you want to get back into bartending, and what? And that's when you moved to Seattle. I I, I, tra I transferred with the, the Starbucks. Uh, oh, you transferred to Seattle from oh, Starbucks. Were, so. I was with them for about um, six months up here, six to eight months. Okay. Uh, a lot of different things didn't add up. Uh, like where it's a different pay scale up here, even though the cost of living is nearly the same. And oh, is that right? Like, yeah, yeah. Hmm. but it, it was. I was happier bartending. I was making more money bartending, and so I just cut the, the cut Sorry to interrupt you. The, co the cost of living is very similar in California and Seattle? Um, Seattle's getting there. You know, when we first yeah. moved up here, people would ask what, why we relocate, and I'd tell them cost of living, and they'd laugh and say, are you stupid? Said, no. <laughs> you know, I'm from the Bay Area, from San Jose, California, where actually uh, Cupertino, to be specific, where the newest Apple campus is, is okay. the most expensive place in the country to live. Oh, is that right? And so the South Bay is right behind it, Palo Alto, which is East Bay and South Bay, San Jose, Sunnyvale, Santa Clara, Levi Stadium went in there, all these things pushing the market value up. So, mm. like, you can't get a home under one point, probably three million, I'm guessing, now in the Bay. I don't know. It's starting to sound like Kitchener Waterloo. Yeah. yeah. It's, and yeah, it's, it's yeah. What's, what's crazy about it is it, it, I was born and raised and I lived there for, you know, nearly 30 years. Um, it wasn't, you know, like, there's nothing I miss. I miss family. I miss few friends maybe but i don't miss like it's not like oh i wish i could go to yada yada like the coast is cool santa cruz but like seattle geographically is insane man yeah go an hour in any direction and you're you're at the beach you're at the you know rainforest Olympic national park you can go skiing within an hour snowboarding hiking whatever you want you want to go to canada you want to go visit or you know okay well not yeah. now no, not now, not now. <laughs> In a normal world, you know yeah. how many times we went up to Vancouver, we went over to Victoria. Yeah. Like it's it's so many islands to explore. So we're very fortunate to be in a place where people who've lived there here their whole lives haven't right. even gotten out there and checked yeah. it out yet. That's cool, man. I'm glad that that's uh, so. You're obviously very happy with your decision to move. And yeah, yeah. At some point, you so you're working like the Starbucks thing isn't working as much for you anymore, and you you you, you sort of rediscover the idea that you, you want to stay in the service game, but you kind of maybe moving back towards the alcohol rather than the beans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just I, when I was at Starbucks, um, I moved up as management. I stepped down to shift supervisor role because uh, I realized if I did, it was plus the tips you'd get as an hourly employee. It was like equal to anyway. Yeah. When I was getting it. So I was doing part-time yeah, at Starbucks and I picked up working at a, um, at an Indian restaurant up here, and I worked, I worked there for about two years, and I'm super grateful to have had that opportunity because, as uh, coming from the Bay Area, all my references besides Starbucks um, were from the Bay Area, and so like the owners, like, how do I know? You know, I don't know these restaurants, and how are they real? I'm like, well, there's my references, sir. You can call them. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, come in at this time, and blah blah blah. So like, he hired me as a server when I was like, I'm a bartender. He's like, well, I only, I only need service. So I served maybe two shifts. And he said, okay, you're, you're going behind the bar. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I told uh, you, man. Yeah. Like, tell him someone's a bartender or server. Because I had I caught back there one night to help one of the bartenders. And I think it was him testing me. And as soon as he saw me there, he's like, okay, he's a bartender. So he so gave you, me you, You're serving a lot of drinks at this Indian restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy because people <laughs> think Indian restaurants. So uh, it's on the north side of Seattle where I live and where my 
all my jobs have been either, I had one downtown, the rest have been on the north side. But um, yeah, that place has got, we had like 400 bottles at one point uh, behind the back Holy bar. Holy shit. Um, That's my kind of restaurant. I fucking love Indian food and I love booze. Yeah, and so <laughs> the, my buddy's still the bar manager there and he's been yeah. there for about a decade now managing the bar program. Um, so he's well taken care of, but he's the same guy, same restaurant for almost like the whole existence of this bar. So when I tell people, you know, good cocktails, good food, I, I send them that way. I say, man, if Alexi's behind the bar, like you're in for a treat. This guy's, you know, been around the world, lived in Hong Kong and from the Midwest, lived in Texas and lived in Paris, you know, in Belgium. And so this guy's got a uh, worldly knowledge and uh, killer palate. And so just to get a scope of the restaurant though, like, because like when I go to an Indian restaurant, I'm pretty much there just to destroy food, um, yeah. but <laughs> and like maybe have a beer, right? Because uh, yeah. like beer pairs very well with Indian food. But yeah. like, what's the? Was this a sort of a more of like a cocktail Indian fusion place, or describe it a little bit to me? Um, the owner just definitely wants. He's a very smart man. He's a very well-off man, and he wants to make money. So okay. wherever he can do that, he will. So happy hour there was bananas. The like the amount of options for food and the prices were so cheap, like it was ridiculous. So he'd like reel you in for happy hour, and then hopefully you'd stay for regular hours. But if not, hmm. there's so many. Like, he just had something for everybody. So and we had cocktails of all the range. So very Indian themed. So some with like, you know, uh, chai tea or chai tea made in house, hot ones, cold ones. Some of them using like, uh, you know, different masala mixes, oh, that's um, cool. you know, using Indian rums and uh, whiskeys like Old Monk and all the house cocktails. That was a lot of choice. Amrut, um, Amrut Fusion. That's, oh, Amrut, that. yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, those were the nice, the nice single malt that we brought in. Yeah. But it was, it was, I mean, it wasn't marketed as a cocktail bar. Okay. I didn't nowhere on the outside did it say that, you know, it just said grill, you know, Mediterranean grill, because there was also like um baba ganoush and hummus and so it was oh, okay, yes, he's really doing was, all the things. And there was yeah, there was burger and a steak and a oh, so, so it, was, wow. it was in the same parking lot of the hotel. So again, he's a smart man. Yeah. It's basically the restaurant for the hotel because the hotel didn't have a restaurant. So you gotta serve everybody, right? You got you can't you gotta be all things to all people a little bit if you're in a hotel. And but. it was right next to this very prestigious hospital. So we get a lot of people from all over the country, but specifically Alaska, especially people who live in like indigenous kind of more uh, situations where there are no hospitals or anything for any serious like uh, cancer treatment or surgery or transplants. So they were always staying at that hospital. And then always eating. They would get like a, like med med medical vouchers, food vouchers. It was some sort of you know, you know, uh, compensation and uh, for the best, you know. So you'd made an agreement with, uh, I'm guessing, some sort of governmental, you know, yeah. brand branch at some point where he's going to feed all these people that are staying at the hotel, and he's not making as much. But so there's like you know, somewhat of a heart in the guy, you know, if he's willing to feed everyone traveling down here for serious. Like these people were coming down for you know, brain operations. And right. so like, that was another interesting uh, aspect of that, being at that bar and the amount of stories yeah, talk, I heard. Talk Ooh. to me about the crowd there. I can only imagine like. That's, I mean, you, you get these, you get fishermen because, you know, we're in Seattle. And so again, that hotel is pretty popular for people coming to port for a few nights or something. So those guys would drink crazy, you know, you can't drink when you're at sea for, you know, a month, two months, three months. And they get, they hit land and they, they go crazy. Um, you know, one guy would like rent a room out at the hotel and ask for buying full bottles and want us to deliver like a bottle of vodka and a case of like 
you know, pineapple juice cans. I'm like, what's going on over here? <laughs> my, my owner's just like, he's probably been, you know, on sea for six months and he's just partying now. I'm, that's crazy, man. I wouldn't yeah. So, I mean, uh, but it was all the stories where yeah, down there for their wife's operation or their daughters. And, you know, like, like I said, from, you know, kidney transplants to brain surgeries to back surgeries, like, so would you have just guys like or men or women there who are just like like seriously sad and drinking? Sad? No, it wasn't. No, I'm making it sound really bad. Uh, no, no, we're, no we're, I'm just we're, asking because like it, I mean it, they got a family member in the hospital. There's there's some stress drinking. I'm you, sure. There's, there's <laughs> plenty of that. There was plenty of that, but honestly, it was mainly regulars, neighborhood people. Okay. Um, but to me, people coming over from like from Mercer Island, which is you know 40 yeah. minute drive to eat there because they love the food and. They had the first date there, or, um, but a lot of people you were right off the uh, I-5, the most, you know, those straight highway that people are taking from downtown to get back home up north. So they'd pull off and stop and get a drink or two, wait for traffic to die, and then drive home after a couple of drinks. It's a mm-hmm. great plan. Great plan to kill the traffic. Not great to drive home after that. But, right. you know, I had this one regular, and uh, she would literally, like, stand and look at the, go look at the window, and you could see the traffic on the, on the overpass because we're right off the freeway. Okay. You'd be looking, okay, I'll have one more. She was, <laughs> she was a character, man. But it was it was it was always one more, but it was like the cocktails were never like you couldn't make a cocktail to please her. Like oh, yeah. maybe too sour because she just she was always trying to get more booze. I would always add like a little more lemon or lime and she yeah. some margaritas. She's like maybe more tequila. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Let's talk a little bit about customers like that now that you mentioned it, because like I've had so many of those too, where it's like, doesn't matter what you do, you are not going to please them. Like you, like you can give them exactly what they ask for to the letter and they'll find something to complain about. How, how do you deal with a customer like that? It depends on how they, how they go about it. And that's yeah. how I'm going to go about it. So the, her name was Holly and she was a regular and she was cool because she always compensated. But again, there's always something wrong, even with the food. She complained about the to-go food, like, or whatever. She always got food to go and something be missing or there wasn't enough sauce. I need two extra ramekins of that. And I'm like, boss says I got to charge you. And then she freaks out. And I'm like, and he has to come over and explain it. And then she ends up paying it and she tips fine. And like, so she was always good in the end. She never stiffed mm-hmm. anyone. She never got an altercation. So like, she's one of those customers that like, she's never happy, but she is because she keeps coming back for more type of right. customer. Well, there's, a, there's some sort of personality like that about some guests, right? Where they're just like, it's not even about, they're clearly happy that like, because I've said this to um, coworkers so many times. I'm like, I don't understand why this person keeps coming back here since they hate everything about it. Like every time they have a complaint, but they keep coming back. So obviously they, they do love it or they wouldn't keep coming back. So it's just something in certain people where they just need to complain. Yeah, well, it's that. And it's like, again, if she wanted to get something for free, Right. I would read through that and I would see that, but she was never trying to get that. I'd buy her a drink every once in a while, like just as good, you know. Sure. Yeah, that's what good, you do. The goodwill, you know, just say, hey, this one's on me, Holly. You know, you come in here three to five nights a week and you that, spend hey, 50 to big, 60 bucks. That's a big part. We've talked about this on the show before, and I'm glad you brought that up, John. I think it's like, that is a big part of this industry that a lot of that is starting to not become a thing anymore, where yeah. people are like, this is how you treat your regulars. Like you throw them some shit every now and then. Like it's been a while since I've been at a bar. Like it was the for one of the only bars I worked downtown uh, at here where we had like a tab, a uh, tab for 
buying yeah. drinks or you get 50 bucks, 50 bucks on a weekday or a hundred bucks on a weekend. Like that was kind of like the standard at a couple bars back sure. in the day where it was like, yeah, here's a, this is the hundred dollar friends tab. Like don't buy a round of shots for your best friends that come in, but right. buy a drink here and there, right. spread it out. And so mm. um, to not have that guest tab or the comp tab um, in the past couple of gigs, has been interesting, but I was managing a bar uh, most recently that I was at for about three years and, uh, you know, I never discussed that with the owners, but I would always buy a few drinks here and there and no one ever, you know, came up to me because I knew what, I knew what was appropriate. I knew how much we were selling. Yeah. I it's think a busy night. I could buy more. If it's slow, I'm not buying anybody a drink. <laughs> speaking as a bar owner, like, I think that a lot of that is just sort of assumed, like it's part of what we do. Right. So like my, my employees have, uh, certainly my manager has the right to do that, you know, and, um, and you got to keep inventory so you know that they're not just, like you said, just giving free shots to all their buddies. Like, it's got to be it's got to be targeted to the people who are supporting you, right? Yeah. Well, in accounted, as you said, you know, you're not just yeah. giving free shots. Like, well, I mean, they're going to be, they should be rung in and they should be comped on some level if you give a shit about your business, you know? Yeah. Like, don't be giving out six shots of, you know, Don Julio in 1942. Right. Not even <laughs> accounting is... Next time someone does inventory, you're like, well, look at this discrepancy. You're like, oh, man, we're missing, like, this is a good, and half that bottle's gone. Well, yeah. Remember that night when you gave six shots to your buddies? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, then, and, and and half of them to yourself? Like, <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, although, Don Julio, 1942, damn, that is good liquor. <laughs> yeah, I drink tequila, so that was, that's been on my mind. And okay, like, so the bottle I, stands next to my register at work, like it's just oh, man. nowhere on our shelf. Okay. Just sits there. I, let, let's talk about this for a second, just because you just brought it up and we're talking about it. But like, you know how there's certain spirits that are far overpriced, and there's certain spirits that are like, for instance, like a bottle of Four Roses bourbon, which is super cheap is just as good, if not better, than some of these $80, $90 bottles of bourbon you can get. But, but there are some of those spirits that are really worth what they're charging you almost. And I, I personally think Don Julio 1942 is one of those. But uh, do you have any others that you would like to mention from either, from either side that's way underpriced or way overpriced? I mean, it's a, it's a great point, and I think it's easier to, like, skew people's judgment when it comes to, like, whiskey, because I think there's less of this extra Niego tequila and stuff, and the, there's a lot less tequila producers doing things like Don Julio and other companies like Patron. Um, these companies are sticking to, like, old, you know, world, like, using Tejonas and the way that they age their stuff. So, yeah, 1942 is well worth the money. Um, I think Patron is well worth the money. I mean, I was lucky to go down there and see with my own eyes that it is a 100% handmade process, hand bottled, hand labeled, hand bagged, hand tagged, everything. Um, they're not cutting corners. Like they've mm -hmm. just been smart with what they do and they don't have these massive stills. They use the same size stills they started with. Mm -hmm. They've just made a dozen replicas of the same, you know, four stills. They just keep reproducing this instead of making this large operation. Mm -hmm. So, Bottles that are well worth the price. I mean, I haven't, like, I'm trying to think of the last bottle I bought. I think it was, I think it was a, a Patron, Roca Patron Añejo, which was worth the price. Um, mm -hmm. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't go back on that decision. Uh, Whiskey-wise, though, like, I'm, I, this yellow, yellow label's great. Four Roses Yellow Label's a great budget, like, bottle. Um, oh. But, like, if you just want to get, you want to blow people's minds, you want to put a whiskey in a decanter and have people be like, what, this is so good. 
I'm an Ancient Age fan. I mean, um, I don't know if you've had Ancient Age, but like this stuff we, is dirt no, cheap. I've never had it. We, 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 <laughs> like that's not something we can even get in Canada. Yeah, it's a plastic oh. bug jug of Kentucky straight bourbon. Really? Yeah, me and my buddy's been drinking that stuff for a couple decades. And I've done a couple, you know, like whiskey blind tastings, like bourbon tastings at home just to mess with myself. And, you know, I had my partner put them out for me and I've tasted them multiple times. And the first time I chose Ancient Age of these like four whiskeys I was tasting and like Blanton's was in there. Really? And I think I had maybe like Rock Hill Farms in there. Mm. And so, uh, I can't remember what else, but it's like both times I've had like, you know, something from like, you know, $15 a bottle up to like 150 a bottle. Mm. And I don't know if my palate just sucks. No, no, man. Or if I, ancient I will, age is that good? I will. T- well, okay. Any other label? Next time I'm allowed to come to the U.S., uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna try that then because um, I am a firm believer in that. There's so much overpriced whiskey just because of yeah. rarity and yeah. whatever. But but like for instance, like I I stand behind Buffalo Trace. I stand behind Four Roses Yellow Label. Like the stuff that's like dirt fucking cheap even like you know what's dirt cheap in the u.s that we can't get here that i just think is out of this world good is angel's envy oh yeah but that that shit is is the price points are very skewed in in just the stores that you go to oh is that right yeah some of the stores here will sell the you know bourbon at 100 bucks a bottle and a ride 150 and then i'll find it in other stores that are almost half that price oh i found i found the bourbon for like 35 bucks once in new york like (laughs) that's crazy how long long ago was that that's crazy Uh, yeah it's got to be like six seven years ago now yeah see Uh, so there's been a serious shift on a few labels and i think any angels envy is one that's just like skyrocketed yeah well i mean that's that's one then if it's gone to the price point that it should be at then i'm behind it because that's like yeah. that stuff is amazing yeah um okay moving on now that we've uh got our spirit nerdness out of the way here let's talk about cocktails because at some point during your career you obviously get heavily into craft cocktailing i know you were mentioning the start of the craft cocktail revolution we've had a few discussions about that on this show how it became the thing but you obviously got into it because then you're starting to do competitive cocktailing, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my two, like, I think main influences is my buddy Alexi. Uh, when I worked at the Neon Joint Saffron Grill, um, he kind of always pushed my boundaries and uh, and kind of taught me templates a little bit here and there and taught me a little bit about palate and just, like, I would just read his menus and kind of get ideas, um, not too confidently. And then I went to this other place called Miller's Guild, which was downtown cocktail bar i did a just a seasonal summer there um and i worked with a gal named uh, colleen and she uh, she like popped my fortified wine cherry so okay. we're we're all these vermouths and these amaros and these mm. sherries and she's plugging them in and these like manhattan templates and these martinis with like the dash of apricot and a dash of like peixades and like just these simple like martini twists like so she kind of just really got my gears moving and um it was soon after that where i entered like this first cocktail competition and uh, I, it was the first one i'd ever entered and i entered a it's a hot drink man i made a hot drink and i don't know it was crazy but it was it was good it was it was called a hot tea toddy or i called it the boston tea toddy and uh i don't remember oh, yeah, the details okay. but I, I know i made like a rooibos uh hot rooibos tea and it was like a peach liqueur and i used uh it was for coval distilling they're out of chicago um, you know, he's like their, their uh, whiskey or something. And 
But it was a it was like hot tea and, and whiskey, like single grain whiskey. It was really, it was tasty. It was like a toffee, a toffee nut like egg foam. It was interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't win, but uh, it was like my first thing, and it was really like low key. Um, and then soon after that, I you know entered for a couple of agave competitions here and got to make drinks. But it was like I was learning. I was old, you know, I was like thirty or thirty one, but I just started these competitions, and so I show up to make mm. this cocktail. Um, featuring Don Julio tequila and I, and I'm telling them the judges are sitting there and I again, mind you, I've never made drinks for judges before in a competition like this. I'd done one before that, but it was like, it wasn't for a judge. He wouldn't watch us make it. He tasted it after. Mm-hmm. So the preparation really had nothing to do with it, the talking, the brand knowledge. So yeah, that, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to stop you there to talk about these competitions a little bit. Cause I've, I've witnessed and had some of my bartenders at places that I've owned go through competitions like that as well. And I of the mindset that I think that you're hinting at is that like, if they don't watch you go through the process, what the fuck are they judging exactly? Just the final flavor? Like, I mean, yeah. So some people, you know, don't do cocktail competitions for reasons like this, because they think it's just bogus in general. I think some of them are bogus and some are legit. Mm-hmm. So like that one, I had made that cocktail and the guy's like, that looks great. Can you make two more? Cause there was three judges, but I had no idea because I didn't get to run a show for that. You know, right. and I'm used to like, like, and so that's when I know a cocktail competition is going to be legit. When I run a show and shit's starting, how many contestants, how much prep time, how much talk time, how many drinks I'm putting out. Oh, three for the judges, one for photos. I'm making four. Cool. I didn't have that for this one. So because the, whole thing, is, the <laughs> whole thing is the fucking preparation, right? So yeah, so, know, yeah, yeah. I brought enough ingredients, thankfully, to make, you know, two or more or whatever. But just when he said that, it's just like, oh, it's like a shot in my stomach. I'm like, oh, I'm so, I was thinking like, I'm so stupid, but it was like, so in retrospect, like when I look back on this, mm, kind of poorly ran. And so right. they learned, hopefully I learned. Um, but uh, what was your question before that? The connection to... Like just like the difference between the... the oh yeah, the judges, like, yeah. the judges have to watch it. Like the presentation is part of it, you know what I mean? Yes. And sometimes there's themes involved in that. And I was in one last year, nearly a year ago, where it was a blind judging, where we just made the cocktails judges smelt tasted them it was supposed to pair with an oyster so they ate them ate oysters while drinking these cocktails and then lo and behold the people who won the top two were the friends of the judges like yeah right you're telling me they didn't know get out of town yeah exactly yeah uh yeah so and there's a lot of that bullshit to it and i I think that is why a lot of bartenders kind of get over them but i i i I tend to agree with you that the ones that are done properly are legit and those are the ones and, and i like what you said about being able to explain it like you should yeah. be able to explain why you're presenting in a certain way, why you're what, why you chose the the recipe you chose, how you built it. Like if you had a syrup or a or a bitter or whatever that you crafted yourself, to go what went into it. Otherwise, like all that hard work that you did in the prep is just not even noticed. Yeah, blind cocktail competition. I'll never do something like that again. I didn't know it was going to be like that until I showed up there. You go to a cocktail bar, you go to a restaurant or something, and as soon as you walk in that door, even walking up to that door, your your impression it begins from that. If it's dirty or something like that, you walk in, the music, the atmosphere, the people that are in there, right? So it's going to affect the way that cocktail is going to taste, and you haven't yes. even seen the cocktail menu yet. So it's the same way as the competition. If I don't tell you about everything that's in it, you're not going to understand. You might not pick up on all of it, and you're not going to get what you're trying to taste and smell. So yeah, it, it, the competition part needs to be hands-on. It, it's part of it. It's you know a free okay, part so, game. 
Talk to me, just because you brought this up, I think it's really interesting. Talk to me about how you think the atmosphere of a restaurant or a bar affects, like, the end experience for a guest, like, even down to the flavor. It's got to be good. It's got to be comfortable. It's got to be warming and welcome, you know? Anything, like, music-wise that's too aggressive or something, you know, is going to be off-putting, something too soft and inappropriate or something, that's going to be off-putting. So do you um, feel like that, like literally, like the type of music that you play at a place is going to affect the the sensory experience to the point where it affects how someone enjoys their meal or their cocktail? Yeah, one hundred percent, man. Because yeah, 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 it does. It does. I agree with you. Because like, there's a brewery, True Brewing, I think it is in Denver, uh, and then Holy Mountain, which is out here. I haven't been in either of these tap rooms but they just played like dark heavy death metal yeah that's what they did it's everyone it's all black things black and monotoned and and they just play that and that's fine it's brewery and that's their theme and that's what they do and holy mountain their name comes from the band sleep i think one of their albums which is like a heavy metal band anyway but when you're in a restaurant like you can't have that you're in a cocktail bar you can't have death metal playing no and, like these aren't these aren't things you want to hear while you're trying to have conversation with either a date or a friend you haven't seen for a while you know what i mean or you go and sit at the bar and you want to sit at the bar and talk to the bartender if slayer is playing in the background yeah i don't know i like slayer but there's a time and a place and it's going to change the, the cocktails or, or even just yeah it is going to change the cocktails so i'm even saying like if i'm fucking sitting at a bar and it's slayer then i'm not like i'm distracted by the fact that it's slayer and i'm not taking the time to like smell and taste the cocktail Exactly. So if it's like, hey guys, we're come out on Friday night. We're doing Boilermaker night, and we're playing yeah. Boilermaker metal night, and we're serving. You know, we're not serving cocktails. We will, but we're featuring you know deals on Boilermakers. So right. different pairings, like this shot of Campari with a pint of IPA, which is cool, or yeah. you know uh, a tequila and a sour beer or something. You know, all these different pairings, like because you don't want to be sipping a cocktail that's got you know eight ingredients and I fat washed two of them and infused yeah. another. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like this. You know, the clear ice, that doesn't matter. No. Slayers playing, you know, no. <laughs> rain or blood. Like, and just like in anything in life, it's almost like warm sounds leads to a warm atmosphere, warm lighting. Like, that all goes into, like, the cocktail experience or a dining experience in the same way. There's a reason why this has been done the same fucking way. Like, we did like you and I might be smart dudes. We didn't come up with this shit. Like, you know, like this is none of it. They've been playing string music and had soft lighting at fucking four star French restaurants since the dawn of time. There's a reason. Yeah. There's a reason because it makes a difference. It really does. Like we, and I, and I I agree that you're right. Like, yeah, sometimes I want to go to a dive bar and hear some loud rock and roll music and do a shot of bourbon and pound of beer like that exactly. sometimes that's a great time <laughs> you're not drinking a you're not drinking a martini you're not asking for a goose no. with a twist like no it's not happening yeah yeah listen to slayers for working out and whacking off <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely on my workout list it definitely is. Uh, so, uh, yeah yeah exactly so i mean but it's got a time and a place yeah. <laughs> just yeah, like all things sure just like all things uh yeah, no, no, that's that's interesting to talk about. Like, cause it, and you want, and that's why there is a reason why there's so many different types of places for people to go to, and there needs to be. Sometimes you're in that mood. Sometimes you want to go to a dive bar and just get drunk and 
sing loud rock and roll music. That's why karaoke exists or whatever, right? You know, but like, exactly. but if you're trying to do a cocktail experience, it's got, that's not the, that's not the shit for it. <laughs> it's, it's like, a, it's, you're not in a cocktail bar if there's TVs, like, you're not a yes. cocktail. Yes, yes, another good point, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I like to go watch sports. Like, I like to go to a sports bar and drink a couple beers and have a couple shots and watch basketball or whatever. But like, yeah, that's that experience. That's that. Yeah. 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 I'm not saying you can't have a cocktail while you're watching TV and that like sports pubs can't have cocktails. Sure. Totally. Dude, yeah. I don't care. I don't care, but you don't call yourself, oh, I worked at a cocktail bar. No, yeah, yeah. Oh, you guys are showing the game tonight. Nice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no place for TVs and cocktail bars. I'm glad you no. said that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I, I do want to, uh, we've taken a lot of your time, so I want to get to the end of the conversation, but the, um, yeah. I do want to talk about the bitter gringo and the bitters company because it's, I, I think that's super cool that you're making your own bitters and talk to me about how you got into that, how you, uh, and how you're marketing it, etc. So it's uh, still very young, you know, it's a very young venture that I'm just getting into uh, more seriously, but it, you know, it started when I got really into the bartending up here in Seattle and I was just making tinctures and bitters and after reading books, especially Mark Bitterman's uh, Guide to Bitters and Amari, uh, it was really influential and I had some basic recipes. So I started making, you know, I did his like scorched earth bitters and I made his like cilantro um, herbed bitters and they're good, you know? And then I started making a couple like tweaks and fun little recipes on my own from other templates and tossing in different components. And I'd bring them into the bars I was working at and share them with friends and stuff and family for Christmas and um, learning to use them culinary at the same time. So cooking with bitters and uh, just bitters and soda water and kind of got obsessed and it got out of control. <laughs> um, people were asking for more, you know, meaning like, Hey, do you have more of this one? And I'm like, Oh my God, that was like a year and a half ago. No, like, we'll make some more. I'll buy it from you. I'm like, Oh, okay. Maybe so, I got a thing here. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's when I started kind of producing a larger, you know, portions and I was just labeling it with my initials, calling it JD. My middle name's David and I was JD's bitters and um, had a dinner with my neighbor and someone just, I was like complaining about it a lot, a lot of things. Cause sometimes I'm a little critical and uh, he said, man, you're just a bitter guy. You're just a bitter gringo, man. <laughs> and I said, that's that pretty good, man. <laughs> so I, from that day, which was, you know, probably three years ago. Um, and then uh, I started using that name. I changed my Instagram from, uh, it was, it's only the best. Um, I was, was at the time I was going to do like a food blog and stuff and I wanted it to be the only, uh, only the best. And then that was already taken. So I was, it's only the best for a few years on Instagram. And then, yeah, maybe 2018 switched over to the bitter gringo. And then the beginning of 2019, I started the BitterGringo.com with the shop and stuff. And so it's been very slow moving, moving. It's not something that supports me. It's just my hobby True. that um, I'm transitioning to. But that's how these all start, my friend. That's how yeah. they all start. And, yeah. you know, and I've, I've done private events and, and gotten to people's homes and, and bartended for them and done some classes. And I was really lucky to pair up with Patron. They have um, Academia Patron, which is a wow. uh, web group. They have a Facebook group. If you're not part of it, it's pretty much open to anybody in the industry. And it's free education of all sorts, uh, but mostly like about sustainability. And of course, a lot about agave. I just did a CRT certification through Academia Patron. So it's kind of like getting a little diploma for agave, like kind of expert. Then I I hosted a bitter uh, webinar for them. They were trying to help out a lot of bartenders during the 
the shutdown. So that was a great little online educational bit that um, I enjoyed doing and don't know if I'll do more with them, but I'm definitely looking forward to like maybe getting that rolling as well online on the Bitter Gringo name, trying to just educate people, you know, because it's not, I don't know anything that nobody else doesn't know. I'm learning from everyone. And if I could summarize, you know, all these little bits that I've pulled and just, you know, push people in the right direction. If it's making bitters or if it's cooking with bitters or if it's drinking an ounce of Angostura in your cold brew, it's not a bad idea. Well, and I think that like um, during this whole pandemic situation, it's allowed a lot of us to like kind of think about what else maybe we should be trying to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Of course. Yeah. It's, but it's like, it's like it's to educate someone to make bitters is like the opposite of what I want to do by making, you know, if I'm trying to sell my bitters. Sure. Yeah. I know that every bar is making their own bitters. Anybody can make bitters. It's nothing crazy. So, you know, my goal is to just make flavor, you know, like profiles that other people aren't offering or I'm offering them in a little different variety. So I do yeah. like a, a savory botanical that's, you know, heavy on the fennel and mint and hops. And then I do uh, a bright citrus, not just like an orange bitters, because anybody can make orange bitters. It's so easy. Uh, you can make your grapefruit, but I kind of blend all four of the main citrus um, and, and it's a little different experience, uh, heavy on the grapefruit and lime. So it's like really good in the daiquiri and stuff like that where you wouldn't usually put it. Um, and then like, I love scrappies, you know, they're local here in, you know, in Seattle. Um, and then I kind of made an Orleans influenced if you've had their Orleans bitters. So it's kind of like Peychaud's, but theirs is a little sweeter and more fennel. Um, and then I aged it with oak chips. And so that's one of my favorite expressions. And so I call uh, uh, Nola, the um, oak oak nola bitters, so it's it's got this complexity and these tannins and this little bit of smokiness, but the sweet like licorice. And you put that in a sazerac, and it's, it lights out, man. Oh wow! Right. Hey, quick question about you for ingredients for your bitters. Um, how much of it is it a combination of like fresh ingredients versus dried ingredients versus like essential oils? Is it all over the yeah. place, or no essential oils? But it's, it is a mixture of fresh and dry oh, okay. um, ingredients, and definitely those have different maceration times. Um, and some people make bitters, you know, by doing a tincture and separate maceration of each and then blending. I don't have the space really for that or the, uh, not doing the volume. And so I will do dry ingredients and, and wet ingredients or fresh ingredients separate, mm -hmm. of course, um, just because the, as soon as that fresh like citrus starts pulling out the bitter tones, we've got to pull it out really quick. Mm -hmm. But maybe, maybe that gentian root hasn't pulled out enough of the bitterness or whatever you've got in there. The wormwood's still working. So it's, it's a science. It's all about tasting nearly every day. Yeah. So yeah. How, many, how many flavors do you have on the go right now on your website, would you say? I think the website's got maybe six listed. So six. it's got like okay, an, so. an aromatic, there's Nola, there's, I think we have a rhubarb right now available, uh, the savory botanical. They do some tinctures, pineapple and anise tincture and a rosemary jalapeno. Both of those are super fun. But when I do tinctures, I... I'll just it's just those two ingredients you know there's nothing right. else there's no right. bittering agent or anything like that well uh, can we get them up here in canada uh yeah i i, I don't I, I don't think i've shipped out to canada but i don't think it's a difficult thing well, i think you might be about to yes that's great man that's uh uh i you're an interesting dude to talk to this has been a really fun conversation and uh i wish you all the best especially with the bitter thing that's i think it's super dope and i think um i, I, I think if you keep if you keep down that path people are going to get into it because not i mean people make bitters but like 
craft bitters is like that might be the next revolution into cocktails now because i think people are going back to more simplicity and less yeah. syrups and infusions and that's when your bitters come in right so exactly and, and they're pretty potent you know and i don't I do there's something that I don't do. I don't add sugar to any of my bitters, which is oh, an interesting, nice. which is wow. an interesting thing because I think almost everybody else does add sugar mm. to balance the bitters out. Um, but I feel like you're going to put in a cocktail and it's going to have something that's going to have sugar component in it. If you want to add sugar to your cocktail, add a liqueur, add yeah. some syrup. Well, so it's called a fucking bitter for a reason, man. But <laughs> almost <laughs> all, almost every bitters I yeah. think ever out there uses sugar. So mine are kind of like a concentrated flavor, which King Floyd's, they're out of uh, San Francisco. They kind of stole, like, they came out a little bit before I was getting ready to, like, really go forth with this. And they call theirs uh, double strength or extra strength. I think it's called double strength on all their bottles. So it's like, if you normally put three dashes, just put one or two. So it's uh, the same yeah. thing. When I sell my bitters, I tell people, like, just try a dash or two and see what you think, because I don't, I don't hold back on what I'm doing. Okay, well, you, I, I, I'm gonna. When we're done this conversation, I'm definitely gonna uh, order some up from you, man. I think it'd be cool to have at the bar, and it's been great cool. talking to you. Yeah, and someone wants to check out some of your bitters. What's the best way to reach you on like social media for this kind of stuff? Yeah, so I, uh, social media, I'm on Instagram pretty, uh, pretty often, and uh, very responsive. And so, yeah, it's at the bitter gringo, and uh, website is thebittergringo.com. Um, and there's a shop up there, but uh, if you're always looking for something else or something seems to be not on there, just, yeah, shoot me a DM. I, I'll respond. I'll, you want me to make a bitters for you? I will. Just Ooh, give me a few months. That's a bitter. <laughs> right. Well, my bartender uh, and manager is pretty creative at the bar, so he might take you up on that. I might ask him to about that before I uh, place an order. I'll DM you. It's been great cool. talking to you, man. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thank, great thank you, for doing this. All yeah, right. Thanks very much. Okay. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Have a great day. Thanks you as well. Too. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.